more announcements, unless somebody tells me there's like something massive that I've missed this morning. Is there an important announcement that needs to be made? You got 10 seconds. Is there one? Oh yeah, we, we didn't receive our offering. So thank you. <laughs> um, Jeff, could you give me a hand? Would you receive our offering this morning? We're gonna turn our attention to scripture as we're receiving our offering this morning. So thank you for the reminder. We have been in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. This is the third week we're in this text. So if you would turn there, I'd like to read this text once, uh, once again, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, Exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So uh, we have... We have been looking at, at uh, this passage. There we go. We've looked at the, uh, the, five, um, the five key elements or the five key components of this passage. Um, Judah, for some reason, this is not doing anything. Oh, thank you. There we go. Um, we said that this passage has five key components, that, that the first is a spiritual assessment. God is the spiritual assessor, the judge that will, that will assess our lives. Uh, we've said the second component is, is Paul, the spiritual father. He's the I in verse 1, I solemnly charge you. The third is Timothy, who is a spiritual son. He's the one who is being charged and being given an instruction in this passage. The fourth are the people that are being spoken of, and they are a spiritual condition. They are a spiritual condition. Um, uh, the way A.W. Tozer said it, that we are, uh, we are all moral situations. We are all moral situations. We are all a particular spiritual condition. And then fifthly, that there's a need, a need for spiritual ministry, a need for spiritual ministry. These are the five main elements of this passage. So far, we looked at two weeks ago at God, the spiritual assessment, the judgment that awaits all of us. Uh, and we've looked at number four. We looked uh, last week at people as a spiritual condition, as a, as a moral situation. All of us are a spiritual condition, a, a moral situation. Because people are moral situations, because spiritual conditions uh, are what they are and can be what they, what they end up being, that is, that we are moral situations and there can come a time when people's ears just turn off. They don't want to hear anything else. They refuse to receive anything else. The instruction here is that we are to preach the word and we are to do so, uh, we are to do so 
in the moment when the opportunity is there because there comes a time when people will not listen anymore. So because there's this moral situation, because spiritual conditions are what we saw last week, and because all of these moral situations, all of these people are one day going to stand before God and be judged for the lives that, they're, that, that they've lived, you and I have a responsibility to minister to these people. We have a responsibility to fulfill a ministry. Now, Paul is, specific, is specifically speaking to Timothy, but the reality is that you and I are grappling with the same truths. There are people in our lives that are moral situations. Your husband is a moral situation. Your wife is a moral situation. Children, the reality is your parents are moral situations. And parents, we all know our children are moral situations, right? We all are. The people that we work with are moral situations. And as a consequence, these moral situations mean that there is a need present in people's lives that necessitates spiritual ministry, that there's ministry needed to all of us, that there's a, that there's a service, there's a spiritual ministry that is needed for all of us. And so I want to look at this last one, number five, this morning. We're going to go back to Paul and Timothy, but I want to look at number five, the need for spiritual ministry this morning. The phrase in this text that governs the entire idea of spiritual ministry is the phrase, preach the word. Preach the word. This is the one that governs the entire concept of spiritual ministry in this passage. It is the essence of ministry to people. It's the essence of ministry to people. So let me, let me describe this idea of what it means to preach the word. Let me describe it for a few minutes this morning to start. The word preach has come to have uh, a certain connotation. If, if you, how many of you have a mental picture if I say the word preacher versus teacher? Do you think of something different? What are some of the differences in your mind? A preacher is more what? How would you describe them? Monologue? Bold? Any other words come to mind? Do you think of a different volume level between a preacher and a teacher? Whose, whose volume level is higher? Preachers? Okay, so we have these images of what this word uh, means to preach. It means none of those things, really. It just means to proclaim, to speak, okay, to proclaim or to speak. To preach has nothing to do with an oratorical style. It, it, is, it is simply a willingness to proclaim the word of God. A willingness to speak the word of God. Okay? The idea here is speak the word of God. Second thing that we, that we need to understand in this passage is that, um, that while there are... Uh, listen. Well, while there are many aspects, many important aspects of, of church life, the main... The main 
vehicle of ministry is the proclamation of the word. Worship is important. You want to know why fellowship is so important? Because we have the ability to speak biblical truth to each other. That's why. I don't mean that you have to be quoting Bible verses at people all the time. I mean simply that when you're in fellowship with someone and conversation centers around the things of God, you're having a spiritual conversation, you are proclaiming the word to each other. You're speaking the word to each other. You're talking over the word together. It's the primary thing that, that accomplishes ministry in one another's lives. Okay? This proclamation of the word, this willingness to speak the word to each other. Uh, I, I want to say again, there are other important aspects. Prayer is important. Worship is important. Sometimes, um, please remember that sometimes before you can speak a word, sometimes just sitting in silence and comforting someone with an arm around their shoulders is important, okay? That we're not always talking. But the idea is there's no substitute for the speaking of God's word. There's no substitute for the speaking of God's word. This is the primary vehicle of ministry as it's given to us in the New Testament. Now, what I'm going to say next is really elementary, but I want to remind everyone why this is the case, okay? The word is vital. That is, it's the primary task of spiritual ministry. It's, it's word-oriented. Spiritual ministry is word-oriented. This is vital to remember because Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that, that in the proclamation of the gospel, people are drawn to the Savior. The proclamation of the gospel, it's the power for salvation. And secondly, Hebrews 4.12, because not only is God's word power for salvation, but it's also power for transformation. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is is active, living, and active, and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it pierces down into the depths of our hearts. It discerns the depths of us. It distinguishes between our motives. It, it divides and, and, and makes things clear because it, it cuts them and lays them open, lays them bare to be seen, the insides to be seen. And so God's Word has that vital place of of speaking to us and revealing to us. And let me just, let me just pause here for a second. How many of you know that the, the, the illustration of a sword that pierces is not intended to be a comfortable idea? When a sword pierces someone, it does not feel good in the moment. Let me be, let me be clear about this. It doesn't mean that you should speak Bible verses over people as if you're swinging a sword at them. The idea is that the Word of God is enough all by itself for that. So that as we share God's Word, listen, I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversation with, with God's people, and something a person has said has brought conviction to my heart even though they didn't know it at all in the moment. It was just a truth, and it was a truth that hearing it in the moment 
the Holy Spirit said, you need to pay attention to that. And there's that moment of uncomfortable, my heart just got pierced. I just got deeply pierced by the word of God, the Holy Spirit using the word of God. His, his word pierced my heart that way. That God's word is active and powerful. It's penetrating and it's discerning and it exposes and it reveals. It pierces through to the issues of our hearts. It distinguishes our thoughts and our intentions, those things that drive our behaviors. In other words, the word of God has the ability to get behind the behaviors and expose the reasons for the behaviors. That's why God's word is so vital to us, because it gets to the heart of what needs to be dealt with. So the word, I just want to remind everybody of this today, the word of God, the main role of the church is to preach the word, to be proclaimers of the word. And I, I, I keep saying this and, and reminding us of this because we have a day in which there are lots of loud voices that invite you into lots of loud conversation and debates. And as believers, we need to remember that the primary reason that we have been put on this planet is to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. To be a people of the word. To be a people who carry the word with us everywhere we go. That this is our, that this is our purpose for being here. We are to stay focused we are to stay focused on the Word of God. This is what you and I should be primarily about. Let us remember that, that in being a Word people, we are preparing people for heaven. We are helping them to live in light of the fact that Judgment Day is coming. That this is what we are doing. That as we are a Word-oriented people, we are helping people to live on this earth right now in the light of a judgment to come. We are, we are proclaiming the word as a, as a means of readying people for what they will face when they stand before God. This is the thing that we have been called for. This is the thing that we are to be focused on as our purpose. It's the essence of spiritual ministry, to be word-oriented people. So, with that in mind, in this verse, there are three instructions that are given regarding the spiritual ministry of the Word. He says, preach the Word. That's the main thing. Preach the Word. And then he goes on to give three instructions on the, that, that, are, that are based upon this idea of preaching the Word. And, and each of them is designed to sort of answer a question. Each of them answers a question. So one, one phrase that comes in this verse answers the question, what? What? In other words, what does the ministry of the word entail here? What is it that we're supposed to be saying? What is it that we're doing as a word-oriented people? Well, the answer to that is that we are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, let me just pause. If your first reaction to those words are like this leap of excitement, yeah, boy, do I love to reprove and rebuke. I, I just want to tell you, 
right up front that if that's the result of those words, you're probably not understanding the text properly, <laughs> okay? Because we are supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But boy, there's, there's a lot of devil in the details, okay? Of, of understanding what this means, what this looks like. Now, let me just say this. Let me just say that, well, all right. Reprove. What does it entail? First thing it entails is reproving. Okay? The, the word reprove means to expose. Just stop there and think of it. How many of you like the idea of being exposed? You like the idea of being exposed? You want to be called out publicly? You want people to know your private faults? right? Exposure. The idea, the idea of reprove is to expose. But it's important to know that God has taught us what it means to expose a situation. For example, in Matthew 18, he told us there's a procedure we're supposed to follow. If someone sins, what do you do? You go to them first. How? You and that person alone. In other words, we don't start with public exposure. We start with keeping it between us and that person, right? There's a way to go about this. Now, here, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that when we are in particular situations where we are speaking God's word to someone, we have to understand that the that what we are doing is a sort of exposing. And we have to expect that that's going to be uncomfortable for the person across from us. It's not going to be easy to be exposed like this. I, I, as, I'm, as, I was, as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking about um, who did Jesus expose? And how did he expose people? I, I, I got to thinking about the differences in the ways that he exposed the Pharisees versus the way he exposed someone like the woman at the well. When he takes this sinful woman and he has a completely private interview with her, no one else is present, and he speaks to her and he exposes her, but he doesn't do it in a way that, is, that, that puts her off or that pushes her away. He carries on this conversation with her that is designed to keep drawing her in and making her ask questions and find the solutions to the problem that he's going to expose. The point is simply this. Nobody really enjoys being exposed. Nobody enjoys being exposed. We have to understand that that's what the Word of God does by nature of being the Word of God. It exposes us. It exposes us. We have to understand that there's a circle in which this is supposed to happen. There's a way in which this is supposed to happen. We don't expose needlessly. Why? Because the goal of all exposure is redemptive. It's redemptive. So the desire is to convince someone of needed change. 
so we don't do it in a way that is unnecessarily difficult to receive. We do it in the way that's most palatable as possible, right? We, we reprove. The second word is rebuke. The word rebuke has the idea of authority behind it. This is another word that is vital for us to understand. Um, years and years and years ago, many years ago, I was talking to uh, a pastor, um, and he said, he said to me, you know what the church needs today? The church needs more authority. And I didn't say anything. Um, just thought, huh, I think I'll think about that for a little bit. Church needs more authority. And so I started having a couple conversations with some older ministers, just asking them what they thought. And I'll never forget this one, this one pastor when I told him, this one minister when I told him what conversation I had, I had had recently. He said, you know what I think I would have said? I said, no, but that's why I'm asking. I would have liked to have known what, what are your thoughts. And he said, I think I would have looked at him and, and said, um, that's funny because I think what the church needs is more humility. More humility. I remember sitting back thinking to myself, what does the church need? What does the church need? Please understand this. The word rebuke, when we think about it in connection with authority, it does not mean the person's authority that is, that is doing the speaking. In other words, it's not because I'm right and I told you so. It's not based upon a position because I'm your father and I said so. It's, it's purely this. I speak with authority only because the word says it. So when I give you the word, um, what is that thing? Is it, is it argue with the hand or something like that? Is that, is, what is it? Speak to the hand, right? The, the idea here is, you don't have to argue with me, argue with the word. All I did is just, here's what God says. Here's what God says. Here's what the word says. Right? In other words, I have no personal dog in the fight. It's not about me. It's not about my authority. It's not about my position. It's simply about let's you and me reason together over the word of God because the word has authority. The word of God has authority. So let's discuss what the word says. I can't tell you how many times. Can I, just, can I ask for a parent when I confess this to you? If you're in the same boat, would you raise your hand and confess with me? I can't tell you how many times as a parent I would give an instruction to a child, a child would ask me something back, and immediately what I felt on the inside was a challenge to my authority. And I felt the need to respond out of a sense of my authority is being challenged. Anybody else felt that? You know, sometimes there might be an issue there, right? But you know what often is the case? You know, when, please, re, I think it's important for us to remember this as parents. When we're having conversations and they're grappling over issues of faith 
or they're grappling, grappling over issues of morality, or they're wanting to know why you said no to them. You can't watch that or listen to that or read that, and you're having this conversation that their questioning is not first and foremost a challenge to your authority. It's a need to understand what, what it is that the word is saying, or at least your perspective on what the word is saying. Right? And, and if we can depersonalize it and get our own authority out of the way so that you're not a big threat to me, I can have the conversation with you and have a chance to let it be the word that speaks to you. Right? Let it have a chance for the word to speak to you. I can't tell you how many times growing up I heard, I heard the phrase, because I'm the man and I said so. This appeal to authority. Because I'm the man and I said so. That is really not helpful. It's really not helpful. Right? The idea here of rebuking is, that the word of God is able to do that. And so I share the word of God. And the word of God does the rebuking. That's what carries the authority. That's where the authority comes from. Because the word says so. Listen, um, I'm not, I don't want to belabor this. But it is, it is challenging to have conversations, moral conversations with our children over the things that are available to them in this world. And to help them sort through, why is it that a certain amount of this is tolerable and a certain amount of this is not tolerable? How do we sort through these issues, right? Why, maybe you've banished the, the Lord of the Rings, or, you know, but entire books have been written about why should the Lord of the Rings be okay and Harry Potter not be okay? Sorting through, right? What, what do we do with all of these things? If parents can learn to, to refuse the temptation to speak as if everything was a challenge to their authority and remember that the goal is to bring their children into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son, that draws them to the Word so that they live oriented according to the Word of God, that his spirit will be able to convince them and reprove them and rebuke them way better than I will ever be able to do. I want them to learn to live under the word, not under me. If they learn to live under me, when they, live there, when they leave my home, they will start figuring it out for themselves and it might be too late by then. We want to encourage them to live under the word of God. Amen? Encourage them to live under the word of God. It's the idea of rebuke. The third one is exhort. The word exhort means to urge on or to comfort. To urge on or to comfort. We need someone to motivate us, to cheer us, to, um, uh, to, 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 um, to provide us with some encouragement or to provide us with some comfort. The word exhort means all of those things. Urge on or comfort. So we have to be discerning of the right place, the right time, how it is that we are resorting. Let me just say one last thing about this, and the next two are going to be much quicker. But, um, whoops, and this is skipping around this morning. Um, 
Let me just say very quickly that what this means for believers is very different from what it means for unbelievers. It's very different from what it means for unbelievers. You know, when, when we are in-house talking with believers, we are, we are often grappling with issues that, that pose a concern for a person's walk with the Lord. Right? And so we might be sometimes telling people, listen, that, that behavior needs to stop. We, we need to deal with this. But, but listen, when you're dealing with an unbeliever, when you're dealing with an unbeliever, the primary goal of everything in relationship with an unbeliever is to lead them to Christ. It's not first behavior modification. It's first introduce them to the source of life who will provide them with the power to transform their lives. So you might be in a relationship with someone who's living a lifestyle that is completely foreign to the life you live. Your main goal is not to rebuke them for the life they're living, but to present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in, in its essence. Part of that is going to mean that there's going to be a conversation that arises that lets them know why they need the Savior. But they need to know that your relationship with them is not based upon your moral disapproval of their lifestyle and the, and the need you have to, to let them know that their lifestyle is wrong and it's sinful and it needs to be changed. The goal is to bring them to Jesus. The goal is to bring them to Jesus, to, to let them know why they need Jesus. Um, it's challenging. It's challenging. But we have to walk with people for a time before we can start having those difficult conversations that deal with the subject of why our sins need the Savior. What I've tried to do more and more, the older I get, is to be comfortable with letting people know why I needed my Savior. That I'm not a moral superior looking down on a moral inferior telling them they need Jesus. That I'm looking at them saying, well, I don't have much to say about your life because my life is ugly and I needed the Savior. But you need to know that this is where I found my hope. This is where I found my forgiveness. And, and the same can be true for you. Right? There, there are ways to do this. And what we do with unbelievers, again, I would urge you to go to the Gospels and see the difference in the way Jesus treated rank sinners from the way he treated people who were religious and thought of themselves highly. Right? See the difference and, and learn from the difference in the way he dealt with people. All right. So that's the what. The how comes second. The how comes second. And that is the last two phrases of the verse. We are to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. With great patience and instruction. The word instruction means teaching. It means training over time. It means training over time. It means that, that idea of building line upon line, precept upon precept. In other words, it's a time investment. It's not quick and easy. We like, listen, we like to tell people. We don't like to teach people. 
We like to tell them. I wish I could tell them and they would immediately accept what I have to say. The idea here is instruction, it's teaching. And the word that comes before that is the word patience, that we are to be, that we are to be uh, patiently instructing. The instruction is the, is the teaching, the training over time. The patience is the spirit. It's the mood of the teacher. And the reason for patience is because people don't change quick and they don't change easy. They don't change quickly and they don't change easy. Um, how, many, how many of us have ever been in conversations where where the person across from us could tell that the conversation was being had from an agitated perspective. I'm frustrated. I'm irritable. I'm, I'm not happy to be having this conversation, right? The idea here is that we are to be speaking the word, that we are to be doing it in a way that displays patience in teaching, right? Patience and teaching. Change doesn't come easy. And frustration is not a good environment for spiritual formation. So we have to learn that, that the people in our lives take time and energy. Um, so let me just confess one more thing to you. I have far more, I have a far easier time extending time and energy to people outside my home than I do to people inside my home. Because the people inside my home, their behavior affects me every day. Your behavior doesn't. My neighbor's behavior doesn't. Oh, hey, time, sure, I can instruct, I can teach, I can do it patiently with someone that I don't have to live with. It doesn't cost me a whole lot there. Right? But to realize that spiritual ministry is something that takes time and patience in everybody's life. And so we have to, sometimes the best thing for us to do is just to say, I'm not in the right condition to have this conversation right now. I'm really sorry. It's not you, it's me. So let me get myself right, and then I can have this conversation with my wife, or then I can have this conversation with my husband, right? We can have a spiritual conversation, spiritual ministry back and forth. The last one, the last one here, I think, is, is, uh, is extremely significant. I'm, I'm, by the way, I should just mention this, that, that all this means is that our ministry to others reflects the Lord's dealings with us. How patient has he been with you? How much has he put up with from you, from me? Well, that's the way we should treat each other, right? All right, so the last one is this. The third question that's answered in this passage is when, and the answer is in the line that comes right after preach the word. When? In season and out of season. In season and out of season. What does that mean, in season and out of season? Well, the first thing is that the, the force of the phrase as a whole, be ready in season and out of season. The force of the phrase as a whole means this. It means just always be ready. It's the Boy Scout motto. That's all it is right? In its essence, it's the Boy Scout motto. Be ready. Be ready. Whether you expect it or not, you got to be ready, right? So be prepared. Be prepared. That's the main idea here is to be prepared. But the secondary idea is, is, is where the rubber meets the road. 
It's be ready, but be ready whether it's in season or out of season. So um, the lights were out last night in Dillsburg, like half of Dillsburg had no power. We're sitting around having dinner. We've got candles lit around the table. And, um, and one of my daughters says, you know, it'd be a good idea. Our family should test itself by going camping. <laughs> it, was, it was like the, the ultimate spueler challenge, right? <laughs> because we were talking about, like, we are so ill-equipped to survive in the wilderness, we would, like, die overnight if we had no power, you know? We should test ourselves. And then they, and it just became a bigger and bigger conversation. Let's make two Spuler teams and see which one can survive longer, right? And so then into the discussion comes, well, who gets Chuck? Because Chuck is, you know, special forces, military, and that's not fair, you know? Anybody that's on Chuck's team is going to win with us, you know? It'd be like Chuck and everybody else, and Chuck will live and the rest of us will die, you know? And, uh, so we're, we're, we're having this conversation. Why? Because... Because we face things that we're not ready for. We face circumstances that are not ideal for us, right? Please hear this. You don't get to choose how tired you are or how rested you are when the need for ministry arises. The need doesn't care. The need is not conscious of how well you slept last night. Am I right? It's not. It is a huge, listen, spiritual ministry means that we have, to, we have to at least accept the possibility that there are going to be times when we are going to have to set aside, I'm not feeling well, I'm not rested enough, I'm not in the mood for this, and just recognize I have to do some spiritual ministry whether I want to or not. Whether I want to or not. Because the time is right. The time's right. I can't tell you that I'm always good at this. Especially in my own home. Why? Because when do teenagers typically want to talk? Come on. <laughs> Come on. I've been here all day. You know? What is it about the stroke of midnight that makes everybody talkative, you know? What is going on here? Uh, uh, we all know what this is like, right? So here's what's going to happen. Is tonight, at about midnight, one of your children is going to strike up a conversation, and you're going to go, man, I'm just too tired for this. And they're going to go, didn't you hear the message this morning? You're supposed to be in season, out of season, be ready. Uh, okay. In, in our homes, we can have a little bit of a two-way street with this, okay? We can, we, can, we can negotiate a little bit. Okay, I'm actually really tired. Please, can we save this conversation till the morning? I really want to have it with you. And we ought to be able to extend grace to each other. But you get the idea. The idea is this. Spiritual ministry is almost never convenient. It's almost never convenient. It's always going to take something out of you, and it's always going to cost you something to serve someone else in the interests of, of, of their spiritual life. It's going to cost you something. I want to remind us of this. Men, men, our responsibility in our homes is not primarily authoritative. 
It is primarily spiritual service. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for them. Laid down his life for her. Right? This means some inconvenient things for us as men. If we're going to minister to our wives and our families, we're going to have to be spiritually ready to grow. We're going to have to have something to offer. That I can't give what I don't have. I have to be a man who is devoted to learning and to growing in the things of God so that I can serve the people around me in the things of God. Help answer questions. Help steer decisions. Help guide morals. Help do all these things that God has called us to. It takes time. It takes energy. Uh, I, every once in a while I do this. I just keep putting some things on the table. I mean, listen, bless God. There are, we have some, some incredible advantages. Men, there are a certain number of us that love to read. But a lot of men, reading is like, Pulling teeth. Men, we have to find a way to feed ourselves on God's word if we're going to have something to give. Let me just tell you, I mean, whatever time you have, you're driving, there are podcasts available. There are ways that you can feed yourself on God's word. We have tools available to us. It's a matter of hunger. It's a matter of desire. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of giving ourselves to something so that we can be fed so that we have something to give. I would urge you to prepare yourselves for spiritual ministry. Last thing I'll say is this. Please remember that, that in the end, this call to spiritual ministry is because people have need. People have need. People have need. And man, if we could just remember this, it would change the way we relate to one another. It is hard when someone else's need touches you in a way or in a place that is not easy for you. It's hard. It's hard. But this is what God has called us to in the laying down of our lives for others. There's spiritual need out there. And, and when we come face to face with it, listen, here's the word that I run across over and over again in the Gospels. When Jesus sees a multitude and sees their need, it, it often says he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Your husband and your wife is not a project for you to fix or a nuisance for you to fix so you can get out of their way. They're a moral situation with a need that you should have compassion on. That you should have compassion on. We should look with compassion on one another. And from that spirit, ask ourselves the question, how can I minister the word to this person in a way that brings life to them? Oh yeah, it's going to cut them open. You know what the amazing thing about it is? When God's word cuts someone open like that, you know what they usually need? They usually need someone to, to sit next to them and put their finger on the vein and cut, stop the bleeding for them. <laughs> Remind them. 
His blood has washed away your sin. It's okay. Don't go to the pit of despair. Just let the word of God convict you and bring you to him, bring you close to him. This, this gift of walking with each other, of comforting each other, discipling each other, serving one another, speaking the word to each other, and then walking through the pain of transformation together. It's a profound thing, and God has given us that responsibility to minister to each other in this way. If we could remember that our ministry is needed because there's a need in someone else, it's a need that they have. It's not a nuisance. It's, not an incon it's a need. It comes at inconvenient times, but it's a need that we're called to minister to. If we could serve each other this way. That's my call to us this morning and the challenge that we have in understanding that while we have the opportunity, people's needs ask us for spiritual ministry. We need to be about our Father's business. Would you, would you bow with me this morning? And let's just close. Um, let's close in prayer this way. Let's ask that we would view the roles that God has given to us, husbands, wives, parents, peers, friends, that God would enable us to understand the spirit in which we are to conduct spiritual ministry toward each other. I can't encourage you enough to, to look at the example of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels and see the way he dealt with people. Follow that pattern. Boy, he had a way of rebuking that so often was just so kind. That drew the person to him rather than pushed them away from him. I think of that example of the woman at the well who by the time she's done with Jesus, the only thing she can think to do is to run into a village where she was known for, for, for her, her life and say, Come meet a man who told me all the things I ever did. How can someone have that kind of conversation and have the person on the other end just want to go tell everybody about this person that she just had a conversation with? How does that happen? It's because of the way the Lord Jesus does this. May our hearts be open to serve each other in this way. Lord Jesus, you have called us to a spiritual ministry. We have to rebuke, reprove, and exhort. We are to do so with patience and instruction. We're to do it in season and out of season. Ultimately, it's about being a people of the word. Lord, I, I think of how many times uh, the, the imagery that I've thought about so often is, is Peter swinging a sword and cutting off someone's ears. Lord, how often have the ways that I have spoken wielded 
the sword of your word, how often might they have cut off the ears rather than invited people to hear. And so, Lord, I ask that you would perfect your work in me, that you would help me as a husband, as a father, as a friend, to be a man who carries your word and speaks your word, but who does so well, who does so knowing what's at stake and knowing how difficult it can be to hear a word that is hard to accept or that pierces and penetrates our hearts deeply. Lord, I, I ask that you, would, that you would help me to speak your word with that patience and, and inclination to teach that allows your word to do the rebuking and the reproving, the authority part. Lord, I didn't talk about this at all this morning, but I, I also have to pray that you would help each of us to be willing to be on the receiving end of ministry. That there will be times when others need to speak the word to us. And Lord, that we would be willing to receive it with humility, with meekness, desiring above all else to be drawn closer to you, to know you more fully, and to walk with you more deeply. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of the word, a people who can be used by you in ministry to one another, to, to one another. Help us, I pray. Lord, help us to reflect the spirit of Jesus in all that we say and in all that we do. I ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord give you opportunities this week, make you effective, and allow you to speak God's word in a way that it can be received on the other end. Lord bless you all.